Hello and welcome to the Gamer's Inn. Come on in, pull up a chair next to the fire. It looks like you've had a long journey. I'm your host, Ryan, and joining me this week is my guest host, Crofton Steer. How's it going, man? It goes, Ryan, mm-hmm. it goes. I, I have to say, um, just for the interest of, like, behind the curtain here, mm-hmm. Ryan and I are recording our second podcast in as many hours. Uh true. Because we... We're we're doing a back to back with Dungeons and Diapers, and and because of that, uh, you know, I have to admit that I am still very upset about my <laughs> stolen bicycle and, and uh, my daughter's stolen scooter. For details about those stolen items and my crippling rage, mm-hmm. please uh, listen to this week's episode of Dungeons and Diapers. I won't take up more of your listeners time with my rage it's fine you know i was gonna say yeah we had just come off you know uh a recording of dungeons and diapers and i figured tonight would be a fitting crossover where we were we were thinking of recording tgi on its normal night but we're like you know what let's just continue with the momentum go back to back dungeons and diapers the gamers in the the greatest crossover in podcast history i can't think of any other example that would probably top that um we're like the avengers of podcasts yeah we're like the defenders i mean like let's not get too high up on our on our horse here uh we're a cancel we're a canceled netflix series basically didn't that show bomb right <laughs> it, did, it did okay uh, we're uh-oh. not that oh yeah well hey we might we're get the, hey we're the inhumans Ooh. wait oh maybe not <laughs> no wait we're that spy show that got canceled oh ooh, okay ooh, maybe a- yeah. maybe abc doesn't know really what they're doing maybe marvel television not so hot um but in case you can't tell we don't have a lot of games to talk about that's why we're kind of riffing but uh honestly i i should get this out of the way uh jocelyn celebrated her birthday over the weekend if you didn't get a chance to wish her a happy birthday certainly wish her a happy belated birthday she is at the cottage this week probably unplugged and just relaxing uh so she will be back next week rested and recharged but we are holding down the fort here at the gamers inn croft and i and we're going to talk about some lovely games and the games i've been talking about i've been talking about for a while so i'm curious crofton as always let's start with the guest what have you been playing that you want to chat about is that the general approach starting with the guest uh yeah sure why not it's a nice thing to do. <laughs> it's a nice thing to do. So thank you for asking, Ryan. And mm-hmm. just before the show, we were sort of talking a little bit about how we're in, I guess, gamer slump season. Mm-hmm. And it and it coincides often with the big movie release season. Like the the yeah, people are going to the movie theater. There aren't many big games. It used to be you could count on the fall for all the major releases. And then that started bleeding over with cancellations and pushbacks to like the, the winter and spring, like uh the q4 of the the previous the previous year or maybe maybe q1 of the next fiscal year like but this period after e3 all of that sort of stuff is generally a a no man's land a dead zone or whatever you want to call it um and so so many people are catching up on 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 old games or whatever uh i am one of them i had missed uh, assassin's creed odyssey from last year a lot of people were talking about it it came out i want to say a week or maybe a two weeks before red dead redemption 2 and i knew i was going to play red dead redemption 2 so i just waited for that um but now now with all the goodwill about assassin's creed odyssey i've really i've really uh 
decided it was time to mm-hmm. to get into it. I it, it, it felt like a uh, that I had the time, and I talked a little bit about it on Dungeons and Diapers. And it's funny because it it is a very very good game. You've played it, I take it, right? I've played. I haven't. I never beat it, but I think I got far enough into it that I, I really understood the the main offering that it was it was giving. Me. And it's amazing. The amazing game. How, how far did you get? Oh, you know, probably f- fifteen hours, I'd say. So a good good chunk of uh, the first three or four areas, I'd say. One one five, uh, yeah, yeah, like one five fifteen hours. Okay, yeah. I have to specify because I'm at like sixty three hours right now. Okay, and uh, and uh, I would just point out that I am what I would consider to be nowhere close to finishing the game. If yeah. you just if if you just look at the map and how much has been revealed and stuff, mm-hmm. it's just like it is. Um, well, that was the main reason I stayed away from it because originally when it came out, because everyone was saying really great game, but very meaty, and the fact that it was using the same sort of mechanics and thought process behind Origins, I didn't. I kind of bounced off Origins, didn't really like it. I picked it up on sale, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like Odyssey. And honestly, there's something about it. Origins and Odyssey feel very similar, but different in a way where you're. You're not necessarily, it's still, it's a better game. I don't know. It just, it clicked with me, whereas Origins did not whatsoever. Well, I, I've never played Origins, to be honest. I was a huge Assassin's Creed fan. Huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge. And then um, I stopped uh, pretty much after Black Flag. I was like, okay, I played a lot of this. I'm, I'm going to take a break. And that break just extended and extended. And, and then it became like, uh, sort of like where when's the best time to get back into this everybody had talked about odyssey and I, I will be honest very much even more so than black flag um this feels like it's a game from another series it, it feels like it could be something else like never mm-hmm. never do i think that i'm playing assassin's creed when I, i'm playing greek odyssey the game like i'm not there's there, there, while there's an assassination element and there's different things, like a lot of the series tropes and stuff are are not there. Um, some synchronization points are still there. That's about it. Um, everything else is kind of kind of different, kind of wonky or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, in a good way. Lots of systems, like gameplay systems, and as big open world games tend to have. Um, I would say, as I said in Dungeons and Diapers when we talked about Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it kind of remains true. It's a good game. I really like it, but I don't love it. Like, I'm not, like, enamored with it to the point. Like, if it was a busy release season right now, I would have dropped it and moved on to something else. But because it's not, I'm just like, well, you know, I'll just do one more thing. Okay, I'll just, you know, like, hey, there's one more island I'll go to or what. I don't have this fervent love for it that I've heard some people express online. It's good. It's so impressive on so many levels. Mm-hmm. The vo- the voice acting, both in quantity and quality, the um, the storytelling, all of that is, is really, really great. Uh, what, what I find myself curious about is, like, so it's, it's – uh, in set the greek world and uh that's cool um i've never been a huge like i've read plato and the uh, homer and oh. stuff like that well it's part of school come on i'm educated I, buddy i don't think but, we read that the only the only experience i have and as a fellow canadian you'll probably get this and jocelyn probably would get it as well but wishbone do you remember that show on tvo 
No. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> this is about a dog who read books and he was super smart. Anyways, there was a Homer's The Odyssey uh, episode. And uh, all you Wishbone fans out there, deep cut. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, well, I tell you, I've read both The Odyssey and The Iliad. And The uh, the Odyssey is a much easier read. And I'm neither of them are easy reads. No, that record. But, uh, but, and I've seen like, you know, cinematic versions of, of each of them. I, I, you know, like, but that said, I'm not like a Greekophile. I'm not like crazy into, uh, it's not a, a set time period where I just like, I can't get enough of this. And I feel like if it, if you were that person, then Assassin's Creed Odyssey is like, wow, you know, like it is that. And I'm just kind of like saddened, I guess, in a way that there's not more games like that, like an mm-hmm. all-you-can-eat buffet for people that enjoy a certain thing. Because um, take Spider-Man. I, I, I'm i a huge Spider-Man fan, like number one fictional character. He's the man. I love him. There was a great Spider-Man PS4 game that came out last year. I platinumed it. I played it to completion and then and then some i found every sort of thing to do i played all the dlcs i did all the collectibles in the dlcs like i tapped out on Mm spider-man yet i probably spent on spider-man less than a third of the time that i've spent on assassin's creed odyssey so far Mm -hmm. and in even though I enjoyed that time likely more I just I'm like why can't there be a spider-man game with as much content is Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And I don't just mean junky content. I mean, Assassin's Creed Odyssey has voice acted, well thought out, well written quests and detailed worlds and all sorts of stuff. Like you, if you made a Marvel game, more than a Spider-Man game, like a Marvel game in the Marvel universe and it was as big as Assassin's Creed Odyssey and you could go in all these places and you can do all these missions and you could do like the same quality of game. You know, but just not like, like this is great for people who love running around ancient Greece, and mm-hmm. that's going to be a subset of the population. But like, there's some like you could have an amazing game like that about something that would appeal to maybe other people. You I know, I, I think what you're describing is that Avengers game that they're that they're pitching. That's supposed to be the Destiny like game that has no ending, additional content games as a service any buzzword in a a presentation file that you want to you want to pull out here but i think i think that's what crystal dynamics and square enix are going for with that avengers game is kind of like a a buffet of marvel so you think that that avengers game is going to be a giant world like assassin's creed odyssey where you can go around to all these marvel places like that and and have and have all these well scripted out adventures because i don't think so i think it's going to be a level by level campaign game Mm -hmm. and then i think that there's going to be like these these added quest mission things you can download which is great don't get me wrong maybe it's best suited for that i'm just i used marvel as an example but like I mean, there's a ton of, and, and there are other like you see, Vampire the Masquerade, and like these other games that are coming out that 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 cater to certain groups and certain fan groups. But the amount, the breadth, and in, in of detail, and the amount of quality that's in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like it's a literal all-you-can-eat buffet for people that like Greek shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I get it, I, and I think that maybe. The last superhero game we got like that would have been Arkham Knight, 
that I don't know if you played the Batman Arkham series. Oh, I yeah, I played it. And Arkham Arkham Knight is is exactly like I got all the the Riddler trophies. I did everything, and it is it is amazing. Like it is a very fulsome game, but it is not as fulsome as Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Like well, it is got, like, nowhere 16, close. They got sixteen teams working on that game. Like they're able to pack every little thing. But the thing is, like. I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey, going back to what you were talking about, if there was other games out that you were into, you wouldn't be playing this. Assassin's Creed Odyssey is like junk food. And too much junk food, it just, it it bothers you, it it can bother you. Like, you could put it down real fast if you're just, you're fine, you're just like treading water in that game. But I think the the important part about Assassin's Creed Odyssey from what, what I've played is that if you find yourself going down a path that isn't fun anymore, just pivot. Because there's so much other stuff you can find, and that other stuff will always be there for you to go back to if you really want to collect all the things, you know. Um, if you're finding a storyline's not interesting, you can move over to another island and check things out there. Like, it's all... And the, the reason it feels so large and so populated is because there's level scaling as well. Like, there are still ranges... Right, for, of course. ...that you, you are not able to prosper in because you're a low level but once you're a higher level i think all the other areas they scale up to you yeah they do scale up to you which is Mm -hmm. fine like for me the thing is like now i can at the beginning that's restrictive but now where i am it's like i can pretty much like i can more or less go anywhere although there there are some some restrictions i guess my my feeling is like i get that i get this sort of junk food analogy Mm -hmm. um and that too much of anything could you know could be just like too much, like you could be turned off of it. Honestly, like there's talk about, you know, the next Assassin's Creed game being like the Vikings and whatever. I have zero, and I mean zero appetite for that. I've mm. played so much of this. My 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 one um, my one thing I'd say that would turn me around on like that would I, I like it that I don't want to say turn me around on it, but like would is just a li- little better core um, gameplay. So like the core gameplay, obviously, of an Assassin's Creed game is combat. And when we mentioned both Spider-Man and Arkham Knight, they both have excellent, excellent action-adventure combat. Yeah, top um, Whereas, whereas um, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey allows you to customize. It allows you to do some neat stuff. There's a, it's never going to get old Spartan kicking some dude off a mountain. Like, that's always going to be fun. But... That said, it's like for the amount of time you're going to be doing this stuff, it's just not great. Like it's not super awesome, super satisfying combat. And because of that, I think like, you know, it it affects the whole package. It models itself very highly on The Witcher 3. And The Witcher 3 is another game that, that has a tremendous amount of content. And I loved so much one of my favorite games of all time because it was that buffet for the dark fantasy type world and i'm much more aligned with that than i am like and that's why cyberpunk excites me so much because cyberpunk and science fiction that's that's like it's going to be another buffet style single player experience but it's going to be in in a wheelhouse that i appreciate more and so playing assassin's creed odyssey as much as i love it i just there, there's so many other genres and types of games that i'm like oh man i would like this everything in the kitchen sink approach that red dead redemption and assassin's creed odyssey offer except in a a, you know a field that i have more affinity to if that makes sense i'm trying to remember maybe the last time i felt 
sort of uh, like really, really happy about being given this huge buffet. And may- maybe Breath of the Wild um, would have been... It's still a finite game in the sense that the story ends. Uh, you know, uh, probably not as... Uh, probably at, more quickly than Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think you're right. It would be really cool to see what they do. And, and I think there is this temptation with each new level of uh, platform generations to kind of try something new and try to just build larger and larger games. And I think that's that's constantly the challenge is to try to top yourself. So we haven't seen the next game from Rocksteady who last gave us Arkham Knight. We don't know what they're working on. Maybe they're working on an open world sort of Justice League game. There's been talk of a Turtles game. like. Whatever it ends up being, you know it's going to be an iteration, or you know it might be very strongly an iteration of the Arkham Knight formula, right? So I can't wait to see that, but they're being hush-hush about it. It's going to take a while for that, that game to come out because they are probably they probably are trying to top themselves. It's very hard to make like a buffet-style game. And if they flop, man, they flop hard, right? Like, it's a, like Anthem is probably like the most latest... You know, buffet style, you know, see, sci-fi shooter type thing that that. See, kind of when bombed. I, I think buffet style, I'm thinking single player because like right. when, when when games are like multiplayer, it's a different type. Like the the Destiny, the the the, the games that are modular and expandable that start with the skeleton and then build on to that skeleton. That's one thing. But games that are released with just a huge wealth of content and Breath of the Wild's. Uh, Assassin's Creed and uh, Red Dead Redemption are three of the you know the big yeah. ones. Like you're paying the same price for them as you are paying for a game that's going to last you like six hours. You know, like you're you're it's crazy it's crazy the value proposition there. Like as a kid, where my money was so much more valuable than my time to get a game like Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I would be like, oh man, this is crazy. I can play this game forever. And the fact that it boggles my mind, right? Because they have mm-hmm. these they have these DLCs that they're releasing, um, and they've had one season of DLC, and now they're having a second sort of season of DLC about Atlantis and stuff like that. And I just think to myself, I'm like, man, like there's research that shows like DLC it is tremendously unprofitable compared to the base release, right? Because to get like if you look at the amount of people that finish a game. It's so few, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, and if you don't finish a game, what are the odds you're going to buy additional DLC for that game? Probably pretty low, especially story-based stuff. Like, you're not going to be like, well, I'm going to buy this DLC. I didn't even finish the game, right? So so you get into this situation where, like, like they're releasing these Atlantis things. Like, the people that bought that must be people that finished Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And to me, that's insane because I'm like... Bare, like you know and yes i could have plowed ahead in the story a little more i you know i i'm obviously caught on some sidetracks but like it blows my mind to think that that many people have played and finished this game mm-hmm. to the point that they're able to beat profits on dlc you know and the, and uh and i just think like also if you look at the price point of assassin's creed odyssey it dropped in price super fast like it came mm-hmm. out at 80 bucks but then was like selling on sale for like 30 or 40 bucks like a month later and i got it for really really cheap and yes they could make money through the dlc and yes there's a couple of like you can buy the speed leveling thing that that um 
but but uh, but yeah, honestly, I don't know how they're making money on that for the obscene cost it must have been to make it. I think they look at sort of the drop off between they have the numbers like Ubisoft they put out uh, large games and there's always a season pass and they know what sells and what doesn't and I think with Assassin's Creed Odyssey yeah a lot of people are going to be happy just buying you know the base game but the way they made the way they maximize profits with their DLC and this is where I'm at right now where I I kind of want to see what that Atlantis DLC looks like it's but it's expensive it's 35 bucks Canadian just for the Atlantis stuff, and it's fifty bucks Canadian, which is more than what you'll spend on the base game when it goes on sale pretty much every month uh, for the whole season. It's fifty bucks for the whole season pass. So I'm sitting here like, well, I bought the main game for fifty bucks when it was on sale about a year ago, and then, or maybe not a year ago, maybe uh, well, I don't know. It was it was maybe six months after launch. Anyways, and then the DLC, it just doesn't go on sale. So that's how they make their money. They discount the base game. They slightly discount the sort of bundled versions, but they don't discount the season pass. So that when people do go to buy the season pass, Ubisoft is getting every cent from those people who are buying that season pass. For sure, but those are like the hardcores. Because I'll mm-hmm. be honest, Ryan, like I've enjoyed this game and I may even see it through to completion. Like um, there's all sorts of elements and I don't want to get into them in detail, but like of unmasking cult members and finding them across the world. There's all these mythic creatures. There's all these amazing storyline quests. There's a sizable Atlantis element even outside of the uh the DLC in the base game. There's all oh, yeah. sorts of characters and stories. Yeah, there's there's a ton of ton of ton of stuff in there. But when I'm done, when the I roll credits on Assassin's Creed Odyssey, I am done. Like I am not going to be like, oh man, I can't wait to download some. 20 hour dlc you know and i got i got tremendous enjoyment out of it so for that for the person you know the subset of the population it's not even just the people that finish it it's the people that are like oh i want you know i want more and who knows maybe i'll finish the game and it'll end with a giant cliffhanger that's immediately resolved in dlc and i'll be like oh i gotta get the dlc but uh the dlc is separate like it's it's totally enjoyable probably even outside of beating the game like i think atlantis you can probably jump right in but i could be wrong like it might be standalone in a sense where it's like a separate launcher separate launcher within the game rather like instead of start new game it's like start atlantis story i don't know that's the perception i I got i do not know sir but i I do know that i'm curious to hear what you have been playing yeah, so I'm so I'm still playing Super Mario Maker 2. Uh, I've really been looking at more user-created levels, and I've talked about it a couple times on the show, so I don't want to, you know, go down too many rabbit holes with this. But honestly, I'm just surprised by the creativity of these user levels that are popping up. Um, just people making really great, complex Mario levels, and you're kind of thinking, like, how long did it take these folks to sit here and do this level like and and to kind of design it out and then put it into this game like the tools are intuitive but still it takes time to build these very complex levels and they range from like classic mario worlds to auto scrollers to sort of just neat mechanics i played one today where it was a bunch of pow blocks and you basically had to interact with the pow blocks and they would set off a chain reaction uh 
destroying a bunch of blocks around them. And then when those blocks destroyed, they destroyed strategically to spell thank you for playing as you're scrolling through the level. And it's just it's just this stuff that people do in this game. And it's, it's just mind-boggling. Like, how did you even come to the conclusion to build this? It's really, really neat and, and truly is an endless Mario game. Like, we talk about a buffet. Like, Super Mario Maker 2 is like, you, you have, outside of maybe getting more Nintendo levels, you now have an endless Mario-generating game. You can just sit Does, there and play. Would it kill any interest in, like, so they just released this year um, the ports of the uh, Mario games for Wii U, the 2D ones, New Luigi U, is it like, you, you know those ones? Yeah, yeah. Earlier, uh, um, so they were, they had had gotten good critical review. They used, the, they're a 2D, Mar they're 2D Mario games. Mm -hmm. And, but they, rele they released them earlier this year. Let's say, the the release order was switched and Super Mario Maker 2 was released earlier this year and now here in the summer we would get those games would there be have they killed their business in in, in that like can they put out a 2D Mario now or is it like what what's the point you've given us the keys to the kingdom the I mean, mushroom kingdom they have given you the keys to the kingdom but there's always that missing component where you play the 100 levels or so that Nintendo have crafted in Super Mario Maker 2, and that's your Nintendo component. After that, it's all user-created. And the user-created levels are good, but they don't quite match the Nintendo-crafted levels. And it's not a limitation of tools. It's not a limitation of the design of the game. It's really just... It's just different. Like You have a iterated sort of designed from the ground up levels that nintendo's making and then you have this sort of like sometimes there's some design put in but other times it's just like splah this is an idea and now you're playing the level so i think that's the biggest difference is that if they were to release a, a new 2d mario game early next year like yeah this game doesn't doesn't kill it now if nintendo were releasing new level packs like hey we made these 10 levels check them out and they released them once a month. Like I think then you'd be you'd be maybe thinking like, oh, maybe Nintendo's like kind of you know cutting their foot off here. But but even then, Nintendo's crafted Super Mario Maker levels are Super Mario Maker. They're not Mario. They're not tra like traditional traditional Mario levels. They have that Mario Maker edge. Like um, just as a a, a base example. Um, there's a pipe and a piranha plant comes out of it, but he's got wings and he also shoots shoots fireballs. You know, it just doesn't. Right. right. It's it's they're, out of no. It's out of the ordinary. Right. They're they're there to those levels are there to give you a, an idea of how you can set your imagination free outside of the normal parameters of a Mario game. Mm -hmm. and, and I get I I get that I do. I just think that like um like like be it with the Nintendo levels that are already on there or just like can can a user create you you can only create individual levels right and share like you can't create a world map with multiple levels and like you can't create a game inside inside Mario Maker you can only create the one shot levels right yeah it's it's one shot levels i mean you can kind of connect it and say like to people like hey 
you know, play the next level in the comments or, but I don't know if they kind of like frown upon that because Nintendo's pretty like, they, they like to moderate a lot of their stuff pretty, pretty hardcore. But yeah, there's no like world map tools. There's none of that. Like the, even in comparison to the first one and this one in the campaign, they actually developed a shell for it as opposed to like a list of levels. Um, but yeah, I, again, like, like you're, you're, you're basically spelling it out in that if they were to release a new 2d Mario game, which they are due up to do because, uh, I think they tie, they tie them. We tie ourselves over with, uh, the re-release of the Wii U game and then super Mario maker two, but the next game they're due to release in the Mario sort of, you know, um, franchise is like a new 2d, 2d game. Cause they kind of alternate and we had Odyssey, uh, in the first year of the Switch's lifespan. So, but I don't think this cannibalizes it because then it would be a whole new whole new style, right? Um, they did add the Super Mario 3D World sort of idea to this one, uh, but it's still 2D. It's not like the weird diorama okay. 3D. So yeah, I guess I, I, I guess I see where you're coming from, but yeah, like a new Nintendo Mario game, like it's a different experience and it's really hard to explain like when you play the super mario maker 2 levels you'll be like oh yeah i get it this is uh this is wild and wacky nintendo like you know no whole bar but uh but like a mario game is more traditional more structured you know you know what there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind about this one thing i find interesting is is that they um they didn't port uh super mario maker from wii u Mm -hmm. okay and why i find that interesting like and i'm not saying that that super mario maker 2 is in any way inferior in fact i think that it's probably superior in every way but i find it interesting from a games preservation standpoint because nintendo delivered some very quality pieces of software on the wii u and they've ported and they're systematically porting them over to the switch so that they will be available in a mass market audience because the wii u sold so poorly but super mario maker one because they've committed to going to two is probably going to remain isolated on the wii u like i doubt Mm -hmm. now they're going to release super mario maker one on the on the switch like that unless they release it at a discounted price and even if they did that you'd think they would do that to 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 get people ready for super mario maker 2 so it makes it makes like having never played mario maker on wii u it makes me kind of interested because there's probably content in there be it like a campaign or or be it like special things that only exist in that game Mm -hmm. and and may be lost in time like in 10 years or something if they never you know they're at mario maker 3 or 4 or whatever like mario maker 1 may be you know a rare oddity that very few people own yeah Um, that's i mean it's a really good point in terms of preservation because it's not just about nintendo's levels it's also about the user created levels uh, and they did not bring those over to Super Mario Maker 2. You can't access levels. They didn't just copy the database from Super Mario Maker 1 and say, like, okay, those millions of levels that were created in the first game, they're all compatible with Mario Maker 2. And I really think that that would have been a nice gesture for them to do that, but might have flooded, like, the market, I guess, because you would have just... But I, I don't know. Like, you could you could probably do it, but... It's funny. I didn't even think about the created le- levels, mm-hmm. which is, of course, even a bigger piece of the puzzle than Nintendo's 
Nintendo's proprietary stuff that they've done in that game. I will say the other point I was going to just raise is that they could not have released that game uh, Mario Maker 2 at a better time uh, like it, it is really dead not only are they releasing a triple-a game they're releasing it with a custom deep customization tool that is very accessible to allow people to develop even more content it mm-hmm. also requires the Nintendo online service account which they they're requesting that people pay money for um, and so it's tough to you know to get like killer apps for that. And this is the time of year where people may be tempted to be like, oh, well, what's the point of having this game if I don't have the online service, I'm gonna pay for it now. I don't have anything else to play right now. So I think that they've really hit it out of the park with the release of this game. Yeah, and it's really interesting when you look at Nintendo's online and you rewind to the to the release of the Switch where people are like, oh, this thing's happening, it's gonna be required. And they even retroactively required it with games that hadn't before, like I think uh, Mario Kart and maybe Mario Tennis that had launched a month after that. And a lot of people weren't too stoked about it. But then now you're looking at it as like, it's the lowest costed, you know, um, subscription for the, for online outside of free on PC, but you know, we're talking consoles, like it's the cheapest. And then you look at the way they're giving it away with Amazon Prime, they're giving it away, uh, they're, you know, upping the price of certain games like super mario maker 2 by 10 bucks and giving you a year for free they just announced uh tetris uh, battle royale or whatever it was called tetris 99 rather you can buy it physically in stores for 30 bucks american and that comes with a year um so essentially you're just getting the the tetris dlc for free um it's it's really interesting and then that allows them to basically well require an online subscription for every game that comes out so i'm looking forward to uh we look at you know this being a slow period but over the next two fridays there's going to be a new release on the switch that's been published by nintendo so you've got marvel ultimate alliance 3 uh, this friday and then you have fire emblem three houses at the end of the month uh the friday after that so you've got two big games that cater to two very different audiences alongside super mario maker 2 you've got a really good summer lineup for one platform Oh, well, and the, the fact that it's the Switch, too, uh, just, like, aside from what is being put out by other consoles, mm-hmm. like uh, b- by other, sorry, other developers, um, there's not too, too much. Like, in terms of t- um, Switch exclusives for the year, I think, like, you throw in Pokemon and you throw in Link's Awakening. Uh, and I don't know if Luigi's Mansion is coming out this year. I'm, I'm I think it is but, coming out this year. But but like those three games plus plus um, the three that you just mentioned, that is essentially the Switch's major like triple A exclusive lineup for the year. So the fact that they're releasing th- pretty much three of them now in such a short down period, I think is really great for them. And it just the fact that they, they've also got the, in the, you know, the switch light in the news mm-hmm. as well. Um, they, they've really, you know, got a good news cycle going from them as somebody who worked for Nintendo, like ages ago in the Nintendo 64 era, when they never, they, there was these, like everybody remembers N64 games so fondly, but there were huge gaps of, between releases, right? Like a game would come out 
and and they would put out like two or three games a year and there was no third party support right so if nintendo wasn't putting out a game there were no games and meanwhile playstation which had the cheap cds like there were so many developers were making games hand over fist for that system um don't discount the importance of regular releases and Mm -hmm. and now the twitch has uh, that's twitch the switch has the uh the 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 great third party support because when you're a winner everybody wants to be on your team right mm-hmm. so um every week now there's tons of games yeah oh it's a it's a really good platform and i and i think um if this is what they got in store for the year before new consoles from playstation and xbox i wonder what they're gonna have next year to kind of keep us sort of on the switch bandwagon so uh yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see what they have. But uh, we've got some news stories to get into, but let's first thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash thegamersin. Thank you to new patron Raymond, plus an extra thank you to Yuri for upping his pledge. Thank you so much. Uh, I've missed the last couple weeks with the Patreon mini. It's been very busy, and also we're recording on the night I normally record it. So I'll try to be back next week, and I'll give you guys a preview you can go to patreon.com slash thegamersin and check that out. In the news, we've got a couple stories. Our main one is going to be about GameStop uh, looking to create new store concept and offer retro gaming. So as Canadians, we have EB Games here. Same company, uh, same parent company. So GameStop in the U.S. is not doing so hot. Um, my understanding, although very limited uh, in terms of how, how these companies are doing, is that EB Games is similar to Toys R Us Canada in that in the States, GameStop's not doing so well. Toys R Us is bankrupt in the States. But here in uh, Canada... Right, wrong. Sorry? Right, wrong. Yeah, right, wrong, indeed. Uh, Toys R Us is doing A-OK. They're actually profitable. And EB Games as far as I understand, is doing okay as well. Um, And it could even be a different, like a separate company. I don't know how these things are set up. Anyways, looking at what GameStop is saying, they've been quoted as saying that they're going to uh, try and reaffirm their place in the video game culture and are looking at new store concepts, uh, homegrown e-leagues to locations that sell strictly retro gaming software and hardware. Um, How do you feel about this, like, sort of, public trying to say like hey we're we're gonna change we're gonna give you new experiences um like what do you feel about gamestop suddenly becoming a hub for you know your your esports like a like a like a barcade of some kind oh boy i have thoughts Ryan. okay what are your thoughts uh, okay so y- you know how everybody and i mean everybody has like a secret desire at one point in their life to be to be like to start a business, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they're like, I would like to start a restaurant or I would like to whatever, right? And and then you you think about it and there's many reasons you don't, most of them being about about being scared and or not wanting to be in financial ruin. And then sometimes you think to yourself, man, if I had a business and 
it's what I want it to be, it would be a huge bust, right? Like it would be, and you romanticize certain businesses. Like there's this video game I played when I was a kid, Gabriel Knight and the sins of the fathers. And he has like a bookstore in new Orleans and it's like a rare bookshop and he really loves it. And it, it's such a cool environment. You feel just good being in his bookshop. They do such a great job with it, but it's also made clear that it's making no money and going under. Where am I going with this? I wanted to have like a retro game store. That was my like kind of business idea. Like years ago, I was like, in Canada, we have Microplay, which which uh, is becoming less and less common, but there's still one near my house, hmm. nearish to my house. And they sell, they have always sold old um, games as like from the original Nintendo, Super Nintendo, all this sort of stuff, as well as new games. Uh, but it was clear to me, like going into Microplay, they really make their money on the new games. Like the old games is more kind of like a, of a novelty thing. And with the advent of the internet and eBay, eBay, uh, eBay and Kijiji and all that sort of stuff, they don't make a ton of money on the retro stuff. No. So, but it's always been like a fancy, like I've always loved the idea of like walking into like a retro gaming store. So when I hear that their EB Games is like, oh, we're looking into doing this sort of thing, I'm like, wow. That's really great. That was like my dream. But then on the other hand, I'm thinking like that is doomed to fail. And and the only reason that I'm sure that they're doing it and both that and the the the, uh, the sports league stuff and you mentioned barcades mm-hmm. is it feels like they're chasing the tail of successful other ventures. So like the micro consoles, the retro consoles, the NES classics. Now they've just recently announced a TurboGrafx 16 classic or whatever. They've got like this is a fad that's already reached its sort of prime and they're like oh man people have an interest in retro like best buy now has like a retro gaming section on their site like there there's an interest there there is an interest but is it enough to sustain a chain of stores you know Un- unlikely the barcade scene is is big and like making locations for for esports like maybe maybe there that'll work but like it feels like like it would have to serve alcohol. It would have mm. to be like, I mean, it, there's so many things there. It doesn't feel like they're being original. It feels like based on the ideas that you said that they're they're kind of copying trends. And I don't know if that's the way to go. It feels a bit like throwing a dart at a dartboard and really hoping you hit something, you know? I, I, I think you're right. Like this is, they've so they've hired a, um, you know, a marketing company called r slash ga whatever that is and they're and they're trying to come up with these new concepts these new store concepts and i think i get it like if you're failing as a company you need to kind of figure out new ventures but i i look so i look at my town there were three eb games so let's just for the sake we'll call them game stops not to confuse the listeners so three game stops one was closed down uh one is in a mall which does very well because it's it's in the mall uh, here in town and then there's another one sort of in a plaza that is also visited but it's kind of out at a at a place there so if you look at those options i don't think they're creating new stores i i think what they're doing is they're closing down one GameStop in town that has two and because if it has enough to support two then you can take one you can convert it into let's say let's in the say let's say it's a barcade one of these homegrown e-leagues like i don't i don't know if you have enough people to go and support that type of business like in order for it to be profitable it was almost probably a better idea to just have another GameStop there you know where you could sell games on the other side of town 
So I, I just don't know. I don't know what they're thinking here. Like, I think this is, this will make a good concept in like a large city like New York or uh, Seattle, like bigger, uh, San Francisco, those sort of places, like bigger cities where you can experiment and you have a large population that you can pull from. But if they're looking at homegrown e-leagues, like that to me spells like, oh, they're trying to get, you know, put these places in smaller towns. Well, the reason these places don't exist in smaller towns is there isn't an audience there to support it. Um, you know, I look at my town, there, I think there's one barcade. I, I think it does okay for itself, but it works probably really hard to be, you know, relevant in a town that is like filled with senior citizens and, you know, students, right? Who would probably rather go to a real bar than go to uh, like a video game sort of hangout place, right? Uh, it's tough. I I think it is too, and I I also think that there is in Canada uh, and likely in the U.S. Um, a sort of roadmap for what's been tried before and what hasn't worked. When you look at the HMV, which was um, a big chain in Canada related to selling uh, CDs, mm. DVDs mostly. Uh, they were big. They were everywhere. Like there was HMVs everywhere and now they're gone. And the reason is uh, because very self-explanatory. Like music went to MP3s. They w went to electronic, went to streaming. S movies are now like Netflix, digital downloads or whatever. Um, people don't, didn't, don't buy physical media anymore. So it was, it, it left. Uh, and during its death throes, it tried uh, many different things. And I think that GameStop is probably looking at that or, or EB Games, probably looking at some of the stuff they did. I see them repeating a lot of similar things. Like one of the things is they, they, they leaned into the culture. What was the type of person that was going to come to a movie in CD store? Okay. Well, like they probably be into posters or they be into t-shirts of this, you know, they tried to sell physical goods that that seemed in line with the tastes of the people that would visit the stores that included a brief sojourn with video games where they hmm. started selling video games for like maybe a year before being like oh shit this is not doing it for us hmm. so so i think that i think that when GameStop is coming up with these ideas they need to they need to look at what's failed in the past because the basic instinct is, and they've already done this. They've already, if you go into a games, uh, an EB games, they have a bunch of those, like, you know, what are those bobblehead? Um, oh, pop, uh, pop toys. Fun Funko? Fungo, Funkos, or they've got a bunch of those and they've got a bunch of like uh, a different, you know, not just the Amiibos, but like a bunch of stuff that they're like, I bought my brother Home Alone themed socks in an EB games one time. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. so, so like they, they they've lean they lean really hard into similar stuff that HMV did when they were dying, and like I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't do that because they're it's probably profitable. It probably leads to some some sort of they're doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel like they need to hit something in the video game field, and I don't have the answer for them. But like, would you say esports and barcades? At least that is like a little more focused on something that hasn't been tried and failed before. Like mm -hmm. um, it, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like they're facing a, a, an uphill battle. I remember when there's in microplays um, when I was a kid, 
there there would be consoles set up where you could pay like two bucks to play for a half hour or something like mm-hmm. that. And like, it was like, like kind of pseudo arcade style. And I know that in Ottawa, there's a couple of uh, VR cafes where, where it's like, you know, people don't want to spend the money on VR, but they wouldn't mind trying it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you can go and, and test VR. I don't know if that's something like they, they develop an arcade element to it where you can come, you can show up, like play, sm- pay a certain amount to be in a Smash Brothers tournament, Smash Brothers on the big screen. Yeah, you know they talk about yeah, another you know another note that they make uh, along that line is they talk about uh, new ways for gamers to try new titles before they buy them and and that to me seems like some sort of arcade setup where they got like five Xbox Ones, five PlayStation Fours, and five Switches where this is the so Link's Awakening just came out. These five Switches have Link's Awakening set up. They're on hour timers. Try it for an hour for i don't know how many bucks or whatever and uh, maybe it's like an internet cafe slash barcade setup I, I don't know like i think it's important for them to try new things and i think they need to be careful of where they steer to and I, and really like the whole the, they haven't they've just announced this they haven't done anything there's no feet on the ground but this is a great way for your marketing company and and the per, your, your GameStop itself to be like, let's release this, see where people go with it, see the ideas they come, and then like let's react to that. This is part of the marketing research, no doubt. Releasing this statement and then seeing how people react. I think people will miss physical game stores if uh, you know in the future if they do go away. I think it's something that we will we take for granted now like sometimes it's just nice to go out and buy a physical copy of a game and have it but don't uh, you think those will exist in like walmart's and best buys they will they will always exist in walmart you're right like i think best buy is probably like the next one on the chopping block but they have so many other things that they diversify with um so yeah yeah i agree like walmart and best buys will always exist walmart we have two walmarts in this town like walmart will always exist on fortunately but uh you know it's one of those things where you're right there will always be a place to buy physical games but part of me kind of likes going into eb games because they know what they're talking about right yeah to to a certain extent i do feel that like my past experiences with eb games to being like you know i've got some and this is going to sound super derogatory there's no way i can avoid it (laughs) it'll be like you know some pimple-faced kid with a nose piercing and blue hair that's like hey oh man yeah and he'll start talking to me about things and i realize his knowledge is nowhere near where mine is and not that it needs to be like i don't need someone with a video game phd behind the counter but when he's trying to make you know, make some sort of level of uh, of in- informed suggestions, and I hear him talking to a, a mom of two that knows nothing about video games, and I, I don't know. Like, I I never found that they brought a tremendous uh, uh, amount of expertise to it, and also then there's a bunch of like, I I, I want to say hangers on that are like in the EB games, which have gotten smaller and smaller in terms of square footage, and so like you've got like a you know two guys two teens around the cash trying mm-hmm. to make conversation with the guys about the latest games because they're looking for friends to a certain extent like i will miss them after they're gone in the same way that when i was talking about hmv i'm like oh yeah hmv was super awesome i loved going through it and taking a look at stuff but at the same point i haven't thought about hmv until just now <laughs> you know like uh, so 
I'm sorry so, to bring so I, up those bad memories. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, do I miss it? Yeah. Well, yes, I miss it in the sense that when I think about it, I'm like, oh, HMV was so great. I wish it was still around. But at the same point, it's really not negatively impacted my life at not being around, you know? like. <laughs> I mean, it left so, a big gap in that mall that you like, right? For maybe a it, year. Yeah. May, yeah, not even. like. Or, <laughs> I guess in Ottawa, it, it, yeah. I would. It, what is that? Uh, or some like I used to like not to harp on HMV, but that was like my my Christmas spot of choice, right? Because like, what do you yeah. buy your brothers and your parents? You buy them CDs, you buy them DVDs. Like these are the hot stuff that you would get at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like now, like now it's like gift card central. I'm like, here's another gift card it, because like a lot of the stuff that like buying clothes is a huge risk, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're buying someone clothes, like unless they're home alone novelty socks, people aren't going to want them for sure. And so like, you've got to, what do you come down to? It's like, oh, I would get you the movie that I know that you're going to like, but now days we don't buy movies like that. We'll buy them off like Google play or we'll, or iTunes or something. So I'll just give you an iTunes gift certificate. You buy whatever the hell you want. So because of this streaming culture we live in, it's less and less. It feels like I used to see like EB Games bags and I'd be like, ooh, EB Games, you know, like something some good's going to come in there. Yeah. But now like I when I know I have to go to an EB Games, I'm like, oh, God, why can't I just get this at home? I, I'd sometimes go in just to look around, but you are quickly disappointed by the fact that three quarters of the shelves are covered in stuff you weren't looking for. You're mostly looking for video games and they're very limited to the current generation and maybe like a portion of the previous generation. There's no, there's the only Nintendo stuff you're going to find in there is 3ds and switch. But yeah, I mean, I want to see where this goes. I want to see what they, what they try to do with it. I don't think it'll affect us personally for quite a while. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what GameStop does in the States when they decide to unveil it. A uh, little bonus story here. I figured this would be a quick one, but uh, a lot of fun. With San Diego Comic-Con coming up this weekend, we're starting to get hints and teases as to what could be unveiled there. And uh, yeah, today we found out what Roach looks like in the Witcher series. And uh, Crofton, it's a horse. Wow, surprise. <laughs> it's very su- And here, a little tidbit for you, uh, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you roach purists out there who might be like, hey, this roach is the wrong color or it's the right color. I don't know what you think you, it you're looks obsessed like with. So here, here's the deal. You're thinking about it looks like roach from The Witcher 3, right? Yeah. But but the deal with roach is that like, like you know, G- Geralt of Rivia is many, many years old and his horses don't live that long like as as long as he does so he he always gets new horses but he always calls them roach so roach is the name of multiple horses uh so like if if roach isn't exactly the roach that you had in your mind well maybe it's one of the other hundreds of roaches that uh, that why they call them roach that's so terrible i don't know because there's so many roaches oh i don't think so (laughs) <laughs> I, Henry Cavill's I evil. I don't. I don't think so. But no, either, so. either, either way, I'm. Um, I you know, like it's one of those things, right? Like Ryan, I don't know how you feel about this with 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 um, media based on other media that you like. Mm-hmm. Like uh, for example, 
uh, Harry Potter movies based on Harry Potter books or something like that. Like Witcher series w- based on the Witcher games, which are based on the, the Witcher book stories. But you you fall in love with one or the other. Like you might fall in love with the Harry with Harry Potter through the Harry Potter movies and not the books. Like it depends what you come at first sometimes. Well, for me, I just feel like when I'm enamored with a property, um, I don't give a shit about the other versions of that property. <laughs> like, like, so yeah. I'm like, I really like The Witcher 3. One of my favorite video games of all time. Maybe I'll watch The Witcher on Netflix. Maybe. But, like, I haven't even... I love the Harry Potter books. I haven't even seen all the Harry Potter movies. At one point, I was like, I, I know the story to this this movie i've i've read the goddamn book you know like so like it's it's you're being exposed to the same content over again you're being told the same same sort of story like i'm sure i'm gonna watch it and i'm gonna be like i'm gonna be like oh this is good whatever but it was better in the witcher 3 sure i think for me i like seeing my favorite characters and favorite stories told in different mediums so i am looking forward to the netflix series because I, I want to see this property done justice, uh, and I want to see video games done justice in in this type of medium, TV, long form TV, movies, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think there'll be more to talk about next week when we actually get our first trailer. Because right now it's been like a lot of posters, a lot of stills, a lot of set shots. So it's very looking very likely we'll get a trailer at San Diego Comic Con. They have their uh, show, or sorry, their panel. This Friday, July 19th at 2.15 p.m. in Hall H. So that's a big deal. And yeah, I mean, I don't know I don't know anything about it. I've only seen the stills. The stills look okay. So, but that it's so hard to tell whether, whether the story and the acting and the dialogue will be really good as well. Um, but yeah, no, that's a really good point. Like, is it, can you enjoy all mediums? And I'm trying to think of an example, like even your Harry Potter example. It's like, I read the books first. And then obviously started watching the movies as they came out. I've seen the movies once. I don't really see a need to watch them again. Um, but I haven't read the books again. But I really like the books. But so. like, like maybe that's there's some like Harry Potter is a definitive work, I guess. And and when you see something as a definitive work of any medium, like and I see The Witcher Three as a definitive video game work, it's where it gets tricky, right? Mm. Like that's where you have a hard time detaching, because Spider Man, again, my favorite fictional character of all time from comic books, that does not stop me from enjoying the movies, the animated series, all the other ways I can digest Spider Man, and and yeah, you could argue that the Stanley Steve Ditko run at the beginning of the Amazing Spider-Man, and and then the John Romita, like that's the definitive Spider-Man. You could argue that, and but I think as Into the Spider-Verse kind of articulated last year, Spider-Man is like almost he, he exists as a concept almost in our mind and can be reflected in multiple ways and adapted in multiple mediums. Whereas I don't think like Harry Potter or the Witcher or necessarily can, they, they serve as more of a, a, a select story. Right. So that's why I make exceptions for some of the Marvel content and some of this other mm. content that I don't mind seeing in different forms. 
Whereas, whereas The Witcher, it's just like it was like um, I love The Watchmen, uh, the graphic novel. Love it, love it. Uh, the, I, the movie I watched it, and I remember it was exactly the same. It's like when I watched the Harry Potter movies, I'm like, yeah, it's a good movie, whatever. Mm. It's like I know what happens, and it, I kind of liked it better when I stopped, read it the first time. Um, and and now they're doing a Watchmen HBO series with the the Lost Guys, and it's the same deal. Like, here's the first screenshot of Rorschach, or here's the first screenshot of whatever. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, like, it, I'm sure it'll be good, but like, might as well just read the original Watchmen if I want to hear that story. Yeah, I mean, it'll be. I I, I like to see. I like to see our stories and characters live in different mediums. So I I need to I need to kind of. I'm cool seeing the Witcher uh, Netflix series. I'm I'm never gonna poo poo it. Not not that you're poo pooing it, you know. I don't know. It might be amazing. It, it might win be. all the Emmys, and I'm like, wow, man, this is way better than the Witcher three. But somehow... it doesn't need to be better than the video game, though. I think it. I, I think it can it can exist on its own right, and and I think they're based on it's based on the books as opposed if, to the movies. If anything, Ryan. If it's good, it'll be the first time of like again. This is unfair because it was a book series first, mm-hmm. but like it'll be the first time anything comes out of like what is a video game type medium and being like, okay, this is now a good thing. I although I heard good things about the Castlevania animated series on Netflix, I never saw it. It's so uh, uh, the first season's good and it's digestible too. Like you can watch it in an afternoon because it's like twenty minute episodes and there's six of them, so it's basically a two hour movie. Um, and it's good, but I've, I've never had a really an attachment to Castlevania. And again, I haven't watched the second season, but, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly find out more this, this weekend. And I'm sure Joss and I will talk about it next week. Once we've gotten all the news out of San Diego comic-con, that's going to do it for this episode. Crofton, I know you plugged a certain project at the very beginning, but like, I'm going to give you one more shot. What do you got for me? Where can people find you on the internet? Well, it depends. If they want to hear me talking to you, they can hear that uh, every second week we do Dungeons and Diapers where we balance sort of geek stuff with parenting stuff. How do we do it all? I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, and you can uh, go to tgistudios.com slash D-A-D, dad, to, uh, to get all the episodes there. We hope you subscribe and listen. Uh, also, I do uh, a show with two other gentlemen uh, called Good, Bad, or Bullshit. We draw a random topic. We discuss it, decide if it's good, bad, or bullshit. Uh, that goodbadbull.com is the website. Uh, we hope that you subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts as well. And I am an individual. You can follow me on Twitter at Croft and Steers. Perfect. Certainly go check those projects out. Follow them on Twitter, all that fun stuff. You can also check out our Discord, bit.ly slash TGI Discord. And you can email the show, info at gamersinpodcast.com. You can find all those handy links and episodes over at gamersinpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. You can find Jocelyn at Joss Plays, myself at R. Murphy, and Crofton at Crofton Steers. But don't forget to follow the show at The Gamers Inn. Video versions of all our episodes will be streamed on Thursdays, normally at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash thegamersin normally and are available after the fact on twitch crofton thank you so much once again for joining me everybody have a fantastic week enjoy comic-con if you're going uh i'm not i'm gonna be at home so have fun here we go